Good morning, Good Hope family. Amen. Um, it, it is good to be home. Uh, it feels like home. It was home as soon as I walked in the door. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I, I, had, I had a great time this morning, and I, I'm looking forward to our time together today. Um, I, I want y'all to see um, the folks I'm most proud of. Uh, my family is here. Uh, um, would y'all stand, um, Carolyn, TJ? Um, <clears throat> uh, TJ was three years old when we left Good Hope, amen? Um, he's, he's 15 now. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. I see so many familiar faces. Uh, out there, and it feels good to see y'all. You know, when, 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 you, when you meet people you hadn't seen in a while, and you say, it's good to see you again. Sometimes it's what you say, and sometimes it really is good to see some folks. Uh, I, I saw Doris Flake, Flakes out there, and I was, I was overwhelmed. I said, man, it is really good to see you. Um, <clears throat> And, and no offense, but you know the folks I miss the most at Good Hope? Um, I, I hope I don't offend anybody. It, the seniors. You know, I saw Sister Scarborough uh, this morning, and uh, Brother Wright, and Sister Wright. You know, I don't know if y'all know, but I grew up with Brother and Sister Wright. Um, and so it was good to see um, the seniors at, at, at Good Hope again. Amen? Y'all not offended, are you? <laughs> anybody who's not a senior yet, y'all not offended, right? If, if, if you are, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm really, really sorry. <clears throat> 147 years. Amen? Amen. Yeah, the, um, I, I want to share, share this with the family. Pastor, how much time I got? What time do I need to finish? Is that the countdown up there? I got 27 minutes to preach? Well, no, I don't need to share the story with y'all. <laughs> Is that, is that really 27 minutes? <laughs> okay, I, you know, we're going to have to go back to our Baptist roots. We're going to have to stay till 3 o'clock, amen? <laughs> no, we, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, I, I left Good Hope to plant um, South Point Fellowship Church uh, in Pearland, and um, and I, 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 uh, I did everything I could, Pastor, but we, um, we, uh, we closed the doors on the last Sunday in January. Uh, we gave it our best. Uh, I tried to do as much, I, I tried to preach that church into existence, and, but um, it, it proved to be more of a challenge than I thought. Amen. And, and then I came home to a church that's been around for 147 years. Isn't that amazing, God? <clears throat> An amazing thought. Um, um, if you're wondering, I'm not sad. Um, is uh, the church has always belonged to Jesus? Amen. Amen. It was it was never mine. Uh, it's always belonged to Jesus Christ, and He does exactly as He wills. That's that's a part of being Lord. Amen. That's that's the nature of being Lord. So I, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad Pastor Cofield invited me to uh, to preach on this day. I know that's a uh, I received that as a real high honor, and so I thank you for that, Pastor. <clears throat> but you guys didn't come to hear me talk. You came to hear the Word of God, amen? 
and um, I, I want to share it with you. Uh, and I want to share it with you um, with, um, with integrity. I want to give you what um, I believe God wants you to hear. I can always say that as long as I am true to the text. No matter what text of scripture I choose, um, if, I, if I stay true to the text, then I'm always preaching to you what God wants you to hear. <clears throat> Pastor Cofield texted me um, and told me what, um, this, the, um, what he has been preaching on and kind of the theme for today. It's called uh, 3T. 147. Um, he has uh, asked the congregation to give of their time, their talents, and their treasure. <clears throat> and uh, he asked me to preach on that, which is not a hard thing to do. Um, I wanted this morning, I want to give you a good reason to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you were here this morning, um, you can rest assured, it's not the same reason I gave this morning. There are many of them, but this is a, another reason to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. It's not a simple reason. It's a really big reason. It's rooted in the nature and character of God and of the gospel itself. Right. And I want you to see it. Um, I want you to see it. I'm, I will tell it to you right up front, and then I will explain it in its context, because the context of what the great apostle is going to say in Romans 12, you, you need to have to understand what he's going to ask the Roman believers to do. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm looking at Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture, but... Um, one of the things that I have learned is no, no, uh, no passage means anything out of its context. The real power of this verse comes from where it is seated in the book. And without understanding how the apostle got to chapter 12, verse 1, um, if you don't know how he arrives to what he's going to say in verse number one, you're going to miss the power and passion of what he urges them to do. I want to read it to you, and it's going to be familiar to you. Some of you have seen it before. Um, do, do, you, do you have it? If you have it, say amen. amen. If you don't say wait a minute, they, you know they never say wait a minute. Um, I, I want you to see this. I am a firm firm believer in the power of the, the written word of God. So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn there. If you have a phone, Google it. Uh, Romans 12, uh, some Bible verses, some Bible is going to come up because I want you to see this. I mean, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number one, and it says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Those last few words are, are notoriously difficult to translate. So, some of your Bibles may say it's your reasonable act of service. 
Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to translate, but here is the idea that if you were to give yourself fully to God, to do so is not a stretch. It's really just reasonable. It, it, it ought to be one of those things that should not, I shouldn't have to urge you to do. It ought to just be reasonable. But, but, but watch this. It's reasonable, he says, in light of the mercies of God. So let me give you the reason that you ought to give of your time, your talents, and your treasure. It's because God has been merciful. God has been merciful. <clears throat> I've been in church ministry a long time, and I know how church people think. <clears throat> I know the ways in which we have been influenced by the culture. And I know how the culture has, in a lot of ways, settled in on us. And when I, when I read to you that you ought to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure because God has been merciful, I know that some of your minds ran to all of the personal mercies that God has given you. I think in some ways that's just natural. Some of you have thought, well... I, he's right because God has been so merciful to me. He has spared my children. Amen. And some of you started to think God has been merciful because we have battled cancer in my family. God has been merciful. And some of you have been in some really tight jams in your life. You know, in the city of Houston, we've just We've just just really starting to get back on our feet since the last hurricane. And some of you can look back through that time and you can say to yourself, God has been merciful. And, and I've already got some of you going already just with the thought of how merciful God has been to you. But let me say to you, all of those things are insufficient. The Apostle Paul has none of those things in mind when he told you, by the mercies of God, you should present your bodies. He has none of those things in mind. All of those things are insufficient to move self-centered people to the place where they give up themselves fully to God and give their bodies. That's the reason why so few of us have ever done so. What you're going to find, and look, this is just life. It's real. What you're going to find is that some people who go through cancer have to go through it again. And when you face it the second time, or when you face it with another family member and you thought you have beat it and you thought, well, I'm going to give God glory because he's been merciful for what he has brought me through. Then you get really down when you find you've got to go through it again. And you find yourself wondering, so, OK, so has he been merciful? Here is the reality. Life is hard. We go through so much stuff. For the Apostle Paul then to say, by the mercies of God, you need to present your bodies, then Paul, you got to give me more than just the mercies I think he has brought me through. I need something substantial. I need something that's going to 
really changed me. I need to be transformed. I need to see life differently. I need a, I need a paradigm shift. So let me show you what the Apostle Paul has said to lead up to the place where he says, I urge you by the mercies of God. The mercies he has in mind are the mercies that we have received from the preaching of the gospel. Now, that, that sounded almost anticlimactic to some of you, didn't it? You know, I was, I was going with you a lot better when you talked about delivery from cancer and how the Lord has saved my children. I was going with you better than when you simply said, by the mercies of God, in the proclamation of the gospel. And that's because we just have not gotten our arms around the grace of God in the gospel of God. I want y'all to notice something. It's, it's an easy thing to notice, but we miss it all the time. Romans 12, 1 is not the beginning of the book. <laughs> Did y'all notice that? When he says, present your bodies, right, he has had to say things for 11 chapters leading up to it so that you would understand the context of the mercies of God so that you could act adequately be moved to present your body. Those things go together. Listen, one of the worst things you can ever do in your life is to be a Bible verse reader. <laughs> Listen, I, I promise you, it's the word of God, but reading your Bible in verses will mess you up. I mean, we got some of the strangest religious kooks because they read the Bible in verses. It will mess you up bad. And here's what y'all got to know. The therefore at the beginning of verse 12, chapter 12, suggests to you that he is bringing a conversation to its close when he says, therefore, present your bodies. He says, I've said a whole lot of stuff before that, but now that I've finished saying all of these important things, therefore, I urge you to present your bodies. The things he has said before allow him then to urge you to present your bodies. And watch this. And if you don't know what he has said before that, you don't have enough context to know why, biblically, you ought to present your bodies, your time, your talents, and your treasures. And some of us don't give it because we don't have enough context to know why we should. And so let me tell you what he has done before that. Before that, he has explained the gospel to the Roman readers. Here's what he says in short. In light of the gospel, where you find the mercies of God, you ought to present your bodies, and it ought to just be reasonable. When I was growing up, Pastor, I always thought the gospel was as simple as Jesus died, he rose, and he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again. I thought it was just that simple. I thought then all I need to do is believe those things, and it's that simple. But watch this. Y'all stay with me a minute. You can believe those things and miss the implications of those things and never
never be shaped by the truth of those things. Paul is going to share the gospel with the Roman readers, and he's not going to say simply those things. So here's what I want to do for you this morning. I want to show you the really good reason you are to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. I want to show you the mercies of God as it is in the gospel. Are y'all ready to hear it? So I'm going back to, to chapter 1. And here is the thing that you've got to understand as, as the apostle lays out the truth of the gospel. He is going to suggest that what we really need as a people in comprehending Jesus Christ is that we need to know where righteousness comes from. We need to know where righteousness comes from. Now, righteousness is one of those it's one of those biblical words. We've heard it all our lives, and we've heard it so regularly that when someone asks you to, to define it, we can't do it because it's just too commonplace. You know, it's so common it's become trite, but it has lost some of its power and, 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 and its impact the way that the Scriptures use it. What is righteousness, and why do I need to know where it comes from? Watch this. Let, let me read it to you before I show you this. This is in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 16. After Paul's typical greeting of the people and how he's, he's been praying for them, he gets down to the nuts and bolts of what he's writing for, and he says, listen, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Don't let that pass you by. These are believers in Rome that he wants to preach the gospel to. You know, I, I shared this once. I said, you know, the gospel is... is Every Christian needs to hear the gospel. And somebody said to me, why does a Christian need to hear the gospel? He's already heard it. He's been saved. Why is it? Paul is writing to believers in Rome, and he's eager to share the gospel with them because sometimes the gospel hasn't had its full impact on us yet. So, so, so watch this. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. I want you to hear that. The gospel is the power of God. God has infused his power into the message. Did you all hear that? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? This is the part we always leave out. To the Jew first, and then to the Greek. The, the way Paul is using Greek, that would be the rest of us. Watch this. He says, verse 17, here, he starts it with a four. Y'all see that? For in it, he is saying, it's the power of God for salvation, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So wait, wait a minute. Make sure y'all get this. Do you know why the gospel is the power of God to save? Y'all, come on, talk to me this morning. Why is it the power of God to save? For, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It has power because it shows us where righteousness comes from. What, what most of us, we don't need, 
We don't need to act better. We tried that. You, you failed too much. Right? What, what you need is to know how to find righteousness. Now, what is this righteousness? Let's say righteousness is kind of like a standard, right? Let, let's look at it this way. You know, everybody's got their own standard, right? You know, you know you, some people's standards are high and some people's are not so high, right? So, some of you have high standards. You know, you, you, um, you, you eat at all the best restaurants, and some of the restaurants don't measure up. Are y'all with me? Some of you got high standards for the people you hang out with. Are you with me? You, so, you know, ladies always tell me, I got high standards. That's why they're single. <laughs> y'all with me? They got high standards. And, 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 and a whole lot of folk don't measure up. But watch this. God's got a standard, and he calls it his righteousness. He said, you got to measure up to hang out with me. He calls it his righteousness. Not yours, he calls it his. This my standard, he says. Now watch this. You can have your own standard and try to think that your standard can get you to meet God's, but he's the one who gets to say whether or not you meet his standard. And he calls his standard his righteousness. And that's what most of us are looking for. We're looking for a way to, let, let, me, let me use some, some colloquial language, to make it right with him. Most of us are looking for a way to, um, to measure up to his high standard. We're looking for a way to get out from under the guilt of our failures with him. We're trying to measure up. It is the source of so much of Christian struggles in life. Most Christians live under so much guilt when it comes to God that the guilt has paralyzed them to try anything else because they fail so much at what they've tried to do. Because what they've recognized is God's standard is high. You know, we read the Bible and God says, thou shalt not. And we say, well, I'm not going to either because he said so. And then five minutes later, we find ourselves doing exactly what we said we would not do. And we know exactly what God thinks about it. And we feel bad about ourselves. And we are scared to try again to not do what God says you should not do. And we live under that guilt. And, then, and, and so what we're looking for is righteousness. I'm looking for what's going to turn the switch on to allow me to be obedient to God when I've never been able to be obedient. And so watch this. Here we, we, here we go with the Christian language. We say, well, you got to do it. You can't do it in your own strength. You got to do it in the strength of the spirit. And so we say, okay, then I'm going to do that. Okay, spirit, empower me. And you go right out and you fail again. How many of y'all had that experience? I'm trusting the spirit and failing too. Now, now, some of y'all are thinking, hey, that's sacrilege. There's no way you're going to trust the Spirit and fail. It happens all the time. Some of y'all are sincerely trying to please God, and you cannot do it. And so he says, but the gospel has power because it shows you where righteousness comes from. It shows you how you can measure up. How God can be pleased with somebody like you. 
Now, listen, if there is a way to find out how to please God, given who I am and what my failings and tendencies are, it must be powerful. <laughs> this mu there must be some incredible power in it because I'm messed up, man. I've got a history of failings, and if there is something that can change my historical bent towards failure and sin and selfishness, then it must be powerful. And that's what Paul has just argued, that the gospel has the power to do that because it shows you where righteousness comes from. So make sure you understand what Paul is going to try to argue in the book up to chapter 12 is how do you find righteousness? He said, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed to come from what? Y'all see it? That is way too simple to be true. Isn't it? Wait a minute, wait a minute. If I can somehow acquire faith, then I can, be, I can measure up to God's standard of righteousness and have no more failings with God? Is that really possible? But he says you can. Now, now watch what he does. Masterful job. <laughs> I, I love this book. When, when I grasped in my small measure the truth of the gospel, when, I, when the light came on and I said, is that really what he has just said? When you greet your arms around this thing, you will be so moved by the grace of God that you will do the reasonable thing and give yourself to him. So here's, here's what happens. He tells us where righteousness comes from. He tells us right off the bat it comes from faith. But then he has to prove it to the reader that it comes from faith. And here's what he does to show you that it comes from faith. He brings a history lesson on the failures of mankind to live up to God's standard, watch this, by their effort, by working at it. Listen, this is a difficult thing to preach in America because an American value is to work hard for what you get. It's to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Listen, that does not work with God because you've been trying to work hard at it all your life. And Paul wants to give us a history lesson in mankind to show we have failed, not as an individual, but as a human race to be able to do that. Well, listen, to, listen to some of the things that he says. He says, I'm at chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He, he, he says these are some men who do this. He, he doesn't tell us who the men are. He's masterful at this. He says there are some men who have suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness. 
And listen, and some of you, the moment I said it, you got a picture of those men. Don't you? Watch this. He says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Within them, because he made it evident to them. They know it from the inside because he made it known to them. Verse 21, for since the creation of the world, Y'all see, history lesson. From the creation of, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that those men are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They didn't respond appropriately to what they knew. They didn't do the reasonable thing with the knowledge that they had. <clears throat> Nor did they give, uh, they did not give honor to him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. It's a wonderful picture, right? I'm not sure what it means technically, but I have this picture of their heart being on a dimmer switch and the more they thought themselves wise, the more the switch was being turned down. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now, I want y'all to notice something. The Apostle Paul has, he has, he is, he's a master of the pronoun. When he keeps telling us it's them and they, who are these people? Who are they? That's the infamous they. You know, when everybody says, well, you know what they say. <laughs> who are they? Watch this. He never tells us. But God responds to them historically. He responds to them. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Their bodies became dishonored because God gave them over to impurity. He responded to them. They, they didn't begin to dishonor their bodies because they simply chose to. They did it because he gave them over to impurity. God responded to them. He responds to them in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, whoever they are. Look at verse number 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave, there it is again, them over to a depraved mind. And we still don't know who they are. But, but, but watch this list, beginning at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. They're full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent and arrogant and boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Those are some terrible people. <laughs> Whoever they are. <clears throat> He's given us a history lesson. Who are these people in history? 
Now, right, remember, historically, he's writing it to the Roman believers, and he's told the Roman believers about those people and how God responded to those people. And I love how he does this. Masterful. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. And he says, given who those people are, he says, therefore, <laughs> somebody saw it. I love it. Somebody finally saw it. He says, therefore, you. Uh-oh, the pronouns have changed. It was them and they, and he says, and therefore you have no excuse. Now, wait a minute, Paul. If they're so bad, why is it that I have no excuse? <laughs> he says, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. Who is the you passing judgment on? On the them and the they. Y'all remember, you? I was reading the list, and you said, sound just like my neighbor. That's why I don't let my kids go over there to play. And then he pulls the rug out from him and he says, and you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges them, he says, because you practice the same things. Ouch. Now, now y'all remember, I'm, I've got somewhere to go. I'm trying to get to why you should present your bodies. Here is the first thing he has said. Historically, anybody that you picture as bad, you're just like them and you condemn yourself because you practice the same thing. Here's what it says to me. I know every one of you in here. I know, listen, you know, they, they say in politics, you know, you, you got to not have skeletons. Listen, everybody's got skeletons. Listen, there is not a person walking who can judge anybody else because, listen, I know you. You are messed up. Listen, you can clean up and you can act like you're not messed up, but, but look around. No, go ahead, do it. Look at them. Look at your neighbors. They look good, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't, don't, leave, don't leave your purse on the chair. <laughs> now, y'all, see, we, 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 find that, we find that humorous, and I, and I guess I set y'all up for it. But, but listen, I have, I've seen it. Some people, it's, it's their sin bent. They can't help themselves. And here's the reality is, your bent may not be stealing, but you got a bent towards sin somewhere. And watch this. And your, and your conscience won't let you be at ease with God. You can fool me, but your conscience will not let you be at ease with God. You can say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. But your heart says, you know you're going to do it again. And you can't escape the guilt. <clears throat> so, so do y'all see what he's just done? He, 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 he set you up to feel the helplessness of humanity to reach God's righteousness. 
He set you up so that you could identify easier with somebody else's sin as he gave you their sins and told you how bad they are. And then he said, and you do, you practice the same things. And now you feel it. Because if I had just come out and said, y'all are all sinners, y'all would say, well, who are you to judge me? So I can still feel good about myself. I can just turn the mirror on you. But he didn't allow you to do that. Y'all remember, I'm going somewhere. I want to give you that good reason. So here's the next thing Paul is going to do. He first of all showed you where righteousness comes from. It comes from faith. And the second thing is he shows you where it does not come from. He wants to show you that it does not come from doing right. Righteousness does not come from your behavior. It does not come because you work at it. It does not come from your effort. However, enabled by the Spirit, it does not come from your effort. Let me show you this. He says, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man? I love the sign of that. Always reminds me of my mama saying, oh, don't you, do you think I missed what you did, O man? (laughs) When you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. You don't really think that, do you? Watch this. I I said this this morning. The church is a body. We, no matter what you think about it, the world does not judge you individually. It always judges the body. It judges the body. It judges all of us. Listen, do you know how the world sees the body of Jesus Christ presently? It is amazing to me that the world sees us as judgmental and self-righteous. When if there's anybody on planet Earth who needs to know we have no claim to judge anybody, it ought to be us. Now, you know, that Christian people could be associated with the moral majority. Oh, (laughs) come on now. Listen. If Christianity is, is not anything, it is not the seat of morality. We are the people who know we are sinners saved by grace. Yeah, I, yeah the, the applause was sparse in there. Folks didn't buy it. So, so, so let me show you. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his, y'all see it? He's going to judge you by what you have done. Scary? You afraid? You should be. You should be. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, they will receive eternal life. 
But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will receive wrath and indignation. Now, some of you are thinking, and I know how you think, but he just said to those who do well, they're going to receive eternal life. So how can you say then that you can't, that righteousness doesn't come from what you do? <clears throat> so let, let me show you. So here is the argument that the apostle is making. <clears throat> he is making the argument that, yes, you can do right or you can find righteousness by faith. Go ahead and try to do it right. Go ahead. It's on the table for you. If you at the end of and you are before the judgment seat, if you can be found to have done well, you will inherit eternal life. How many of y'all want to take that shot? He says, go ahead and try. But then watch this. This is, this is chapter three. What wonderful, wonderful passage. To sum up, here's what he says. He says, verse 9, because he, he, he makes the argument in chapter 2 and 3 that both Jew and Gentile are both all under sin. That's the argument that he's made. And so when he gets to verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, what then? Are we better than they? That's Jew better than Gentile. Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Y'all see that? So where did he make the charge that they're all under sin? He made the charge in verse one, in chapter 1 and 2. That's where he has charged. What he was doing was not giving you a path to righteousness by good behavior. What he was doing was charging all of you with sin. Yeah, stay with me. He says, for it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Y'all see the not even one? There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become. Y'all see the word? See, church folk are no pastor. Church folk are some of the most notorious folks for looking at the word of God and not letting it impact them. Listen, um, who, who out there do I know who won't be offended? Brother Ward. Pastor already gave you glory. Brother Ward. If in the parking lot I told you, you know, Ron Ward, you're just useless. How would you feel? But did y'all read it in scripture? He said, y'all are all together useless. Words didn't stick until I, had them, until I threw them at you, did it? He said, not only are you, Ron Ward, useless, y'all are all together. You know, in, in the black community, we have always said, Pastor, if we can just come together, if we can just be unified, you know, we can accomplish so much, but we just can't come together. I got news for you. If you came together, you'd still be all together useless. <clears throat> There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, y'all see the words, they keep deceiving. You know, we fall out with folk all the time. You know, he said, you know, it's one thing I can't stand for people to do, and that's to lie to me. Then you got to go to an island because everybody keeps deceiving. <laughs> Listen, you can't be in a relationship with anybody if your standard is you must always tell me the truth. 
Watch this. Because that's what I do. You lying too. <laughs> Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Listen, some of the sweetest folk you, you, you'll ever meet, you push their button and their mouth is going to be full of cursing and bitterness. All you got to do is find the right button. Husbands find that button all the time. <laughs> that sweet little lady comes out, woo! Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the paths of peace they have not known. What a wonderful picture of humanity, of you. He said, if you look back over the path of your life, you know what we will find? Destruction and misery. Everywhere you've been, you fought with the people you've been with. Listen, the, the one constant in every fight you've had is you. <laughs> but we, we're convinced it was them if they had just, but you've been the fighter in every fight you've had. But it's always them. What, what, what am I trying to say? What is Paul trying to say? You've got no hope for righteousness by your behavior. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all fear God? Look at y'all going shame. They missed it, didn't they, Pastor? How, how many of y'all who, who had your hand up sin in your life? How many of y'all know it's sin? Then how dare you say you fear God? Pastor just told you, there is no fear of God in your eyes. And you still say, no, I do, I fear him. <laughs> See how hard it is to stick? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. This is Paul's way of saying, so all of you who think you're getting it right by your behavior, shut your mouth. You're accountable to God. He's got you. You need to stop all of that justifying yourself in the eyes of men. You are accountable to God. Just stop it. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Listen, by the commandments written in the scripture... No flesh will be justified. If your test is obedience to God, no flesh will be justified. If it's by your efforts to do right, no flesh will be justified. Y'all hear it now? You can't work hard enough. If you've messed up once, you're in trouble already. But here's where, it gets, here's where it gets incredible. I, I see they, they, turn the, they turn the numbers red on me. <laughs> I, I need to, okay, I got you. <laughs> but now, look at verse 21. But now, here's what he's going to say. But now, watch this. Apart from the law, apart from behavior, because behavior is not in it, the righteousness of God has been manifested. We have seen where it comes from. 
It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's in the Old Testament too. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those who believe. Because there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're being justified as a... Y'all see the word? Everybody's looking at me. Look at the text. How are they justified? As a gift. Wait, 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 wait. Y'all missed it. You know, that was one of those moments where y'all were supposed to get it. What you have been given by God is a gift. Despite who you are, that we have just got a good picture of, you have been justified, he said, as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom he displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And this was to demonstrate his own righteousness. So so let me make sure you understand what he just said. Given how bad you are, God gave you the gift of righteousness anyway by the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, I will hang out with you despite your sin. I will hang out with you because of Christ. When I look at you, I will look at you through the lens of my son, and I will treat you the same way I treat my son. You don't have to earn it. I've seen you try. You haven't been able to. But he says, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did for you. So then chapter 8 says, therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more guilt, no more condemnation. With God, you're all right. You might be messed up in my sight, but with God, you're all right. And his thoughts are more important than mine. Doesn't matter how, what anybody else thinks about you, the most righteous person in the universe says you're all right with me. And there's no reason for condemnation. And so listen, the moment you sin and you start to feel bad, trust Jesus. Trust that he said, I made you all right. There's no reason for you to feel condemnation. I made you all right. So so watch this. And then so here's what he's going to say. By those mercies that he has given to you, then just present yourself to him. Isn't it just reasonable? Amen. 